The reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 1 to 6. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, I, for reading that for us. Uh, hello, good morning, everyone. My name's Andy, I'm the curate here at St. Paul's, and today is Passion Sunday. Uh, as we come to the final weeks of Lent, next week is Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday, this is a, a kind of chance where we take a step back and we look at the cross. Here, before we get caught up in, in the story and the drama, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the cross and rose again three days later. We just take a time now to look at the cross, make sure we don't miss the wood for the trees. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, Son of God, crucified on the cross for each one of us for our sin. We ask, Lord, that you would Come and meet with us now. Come and meet with us from the pages of the scriptures. We thank you for this wonderful prophecy from the Old Testament, from Isaiah. Lord, would you amaze us? Would you transform us? Would you challenge us with your cross this morning? We ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Oh, well, the cross, you know, it's the heart of the Christian faith, isn't it? And it's such a common cultural symbol here in the West. You can hardly go a day without encountering the cross in some way. Um, you know, some of us wear a cross around our necks. Uh, you might have a tattoo of a cross somewhere on your body. You know, the cross is a symbol of medicine, of first aid. It's the basis of many of our 
national flags, just look at the flag of England or Scotland, they're based on the cross. Even if you look at the, the way that Anglican church buildings are laid out, it's actually in the shape of a cross. And the cross is everywhere, and rightly so. And up here on the screen, we've got a painting by Salvador Dali, a Spanish artist. He painted this in the 1950s. And uh, through his experience of civil war in Spain and the Second World War, Dali had actually uh, renounced his Catholic faith, but he was still captivated by the cross. And he, uh, he painted this. It's a sense that Jesus looks down from the cross on the whole world and this sense of universality, inescapability of the cross in a time of great uncertainty and, and so such that we find ourselves in today as well. Such a compelling image as well, the, the cross, one who suffers on behalf of others. And you know, we've all heard the stories of heroics in Ukraine, haven't we, over the, the last five or six weeks. It's a compelling image, isn't it? And Jesus, this Jesus on the cross, suffered for all of us, that we might have life and go free. That's the message of the cross. And I wonder, what does the cross mean to you this morning? What is the cross to you? For some, it would be really familiar, perhaps over-familiar. It's like, yeah, we've been there, done that. Uh, for some, I don't know, maybe there's a sense that the cross has always kind of been there, we're not quite sure what it means, what the significance of it is. Perhaps you have questions about it. And for some, it could be completely new. What is the cross? What does it mean? Why have we got a huge wooden cross up here in the church? And we're coming to uh, Isaiah chapter 53. That's the reading that we have this morning. It's this amazing prophecy about the cross. It's written centuries before Jesus' birth. And yet it is absolutely about him. And it picks up this fact that Jesus, when he went to the cross, he took on our sin. He took on our shame. He took on that death in order to give us life. So I'd like to come at this, come at the cross in this passage from two sides and actually draw on a verse from the New Testament. St. Paul in his letter to the Romans he wrote this very well-known verse, Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So first, the wages of sin is death. What's the problem? What's the cost that led Jesus to the cross? And there's a brokenness in the human heart that Isaiah just gives this amazing, poignant expression to, doesn't he? There's an arrogance, a sense that we can make it on our own, a desire for power and control, a willfulness that so often hurts and marginalizes others, and how we see that played out on the international stage and on the stage of our own hearts as well. And at the same time, there's, there's also a, a pain, a suffering, shame, guilt, crises of identity, isolation, the human heart is broken. It's broken by the fall, broken by sin. And particularly in, uh, in verse 5, Isaiah 53, I want to 
open uh, the Bible if you have it with you. As I talked about Jesus, or the servant being pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and picks up on two kind of elements of this problem of the human heart. The first is transgressions. This is our rebellious acts. The word to transgress means to choose to go beyond a limit or a boundary. It's the things we do, you know, the way we live our lives when they're opposed to God. And every human life is affected by sin in this way. Me and you. The fourth century African theologian, Augustine of Hippo, describes sin as a curving in of life on itself. I don't know, can you relate to that this morning? Uh, In our actions, our desires, our relationships. I know I certainly can. And when we choose to live our lives like this, separate to God, against God's ways, against the God who made us, he loves us, he knows what's best for us. It's like we disconnect ourselves from the source of life, that which gives us our being. Now last week it was Mothering Sunday, um, and if you're here we gave out daffodils, didn't we? Um, And I wonder if you you may have taken some home, I wonder how they're doing a week later. We've got a bunch at home, they're still doing okay, but they're starting to droop a little bit now. Uh, And I think that's such a powerful image of this sin is a disconnection from that which gives us life. And it's like that, that daffodil plucked off, plucked off from its root. We can keep it going with water or plant food or different things like that, but ultimately it's going to wither and die. That's what the cost of sin is in our lives. So there's the transgressions. And secondly, there's iniquities. He was crushed for our iniquities. This kind of picks up on fallen human nature. It's like there's just something in our nature that means that we can't will the good. The Hebrew here means to be bent over double, you know, a kind of bentness, a perversity in human nature. And there's a spiritual element to this too. You know, over the last three weeks, the last four weeks, uh, we've done a series, haven't we? Looking uh, from John Mark Comer's book, Live No Lies, looking at the three great enemies um, of the Christian life, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, and this idea that the devil's lies, which play into our disordered desires and are normalized in sinful society, and that leads to sin, which separates us from God. And you know, our, our human nature doesn't excuse us, but it does mean that we absolutely cannot save ourselves and that's why we need the cross. The problem of sin isn't something that that we can solve with just better structures or more funding or more education, important though those things are. Uh, In the Victorian uh, era, kind of 18th and 19th century, there was this idea of human progress and it's it's picked up actually in the scientism of, of new atheism that we can build heaven on earth here, just give us enough time, just enough resources, just enough education, just enough research. But actually, the experience of the last hundred years, and even the last six weeks as we look on uh, at Ukraine, and so easy to feel hopeless, 
higher knowledge, higher technology and power actually have only served to cause more sin and suffering in the world, not less. And what a mess the world is in. How we need God to help us, to save us, to heal us. So the wages of sin are death. But that's only half the story. It's only half the story of the cross. Because the second half of that verse in Romans is that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. In Jesus, God's eternal son, dying on the cross in each of our place, God acts to bring life where there's death, forgiveness where there's sin, freedom where there's shame. This is the good news. This is the gospel. The cross has a person on it. It could be you. It should be you and me. But instead, it's Jesus, the Son of God. And here in Isaiah 53, like Jesus is clearly in view. Just look at the first two verses. Jesus is the arm of the Lord, revealed. He's fully divine, yet fully human, with no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. God fully identified himself with us, sending his son as a human being, just like us. Let's look at verses four to six. In each instance of our brokenness, Jesus takes it on himself. He took up our pain, our guilt, our shame, he bore our suffering. You know, literally, he shouldered it. He took the weight of it. This week, our prayer ministry team always pray for words and pictures for the services on Sunday. And one of those uh, pictures senses this week was of a group of people weighed down with heavy rucksacks. And the rucksacks filled with stuff from your past. And the sense that Jesus is inviting us to the cross to lay down, let him take off and shoulder the weight, that sin, that death, and instead take up what he gives us, freedom and life and leading us forwards. So I don't know if you can relate to that. We would love to pray with you at the end of the service and just know Jesus takes up. He bore our suffering. He bears your suffering. He offers to take it from you. Will you give it to him today? Moving on through uh, these verses, he was pierced for our transgressions, those rebellious acts of ours. He was crushed for our iniquities, our bent human nature. The punishment that brought us peace was on him he was sentenced to death. He went to the cross instead of us. By his wounds, we are healed. He went through the agony and shame of public execution that we might be forgiven. And it says, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. In love, God offers himself in our place on the cross. All of us you know, who have sinned and still do sin, You've fallen short of the goodness and the glory of God. Jesus went to the cross in our place. And you know, this is, for, this is for you and it's for me. Whether you've been following Jesus as a Christian for many years 
or whether you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet or somewhere in between, this is for us. This offer from God is for us. God loves you so much that he took the wages of sin on himself that you and I might know life in him, might be reconnected to him. And on the cross, Jesus is victorious. Later uh, in the chapter, we didn't hear these verses read, but later Isaiah goes on to say, though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and will bear their iniquities. There's resurrection there. He will see the light of life and be satisfied. Jesus is alive. That's the reason why the cross that we have here at church doesn't have Jesus hanging upon it because the cross is empty. Jesus isn't there anymore. He went to the grave and was raised again three days later. He is victorious and he intercedes for us at his father's side. So what? That's what I just want to finish and come into land with. The cross, amazing that, that God himself went to the cross in our place to give us life. But what does that mean for our lives here and now? 2,000 years on. I want to finish uh, with one of my favorite modern uh, Christian leaders and theologians, a man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This was a uh, German pastor uh, living in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. Um, And he was someone who knew and understood and lived out the costliness of the cross in his own life. So living in Germany, he witnessed firsthand the, the rise of Nazism and uh, the, the outbreak of the Second World War. He saw parts of the church just acquiescing to culture and political power, so tempting. And we see that today, as we see some of that uh, even in Russia, the Orthodox Church in Russia, and we see it in our own lives, how tempting it is to go along Uh, with the way things are heading. Uh, Bonhoeffer was involved in resistance against the Nazi regime, and uh, he was imprisoned and actually executed in 1945, just a few months before the war ended. He wrote this book, The Cost of Discipleship, uh, in which he coined the terms cheap and costly grace, looking at the cross. And I really recommend reading The Cost of Discipleship. Um, It's a very challenging book. So particularly if you're feeling like, perhaps if you're new to to Christian faith or you feel like maybe you're in a bit of a rut or stagnant, this will help you, definitely. Um, He talks about cheap and costly grace. You know, amazing grace has been given to us through Jesus on the cross. And what we do with it is what determines its value, whether it's cheap or costly to us. Cheap grace is when the cross makes little or no difference in your life, in the way you relate to God, in the way you relate to others, relate to yourself. Cheap grace declares forgiveness without repentance. When we put up with sinful patterns in our lives and others' lives and we just take God's grace for granted, 
You know, he's paid it on, all on the cross, so, so what if I indulge in this or that, or if I uh, put up with something in my character which isn't of God? That makes grace cheap. But costly grace is an acknowledgement of the depths that God went to save us, to save you and me. And it, that turns everything around, transforms everything as we seek to follow Jesus in every area of our lives, fully committed to him. Here's a quote from Bonhoeffer on this. He says, such grace is costly because it costs God the life of his son. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. And it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. So I just want to finish by asking, how will we respond to the cross this morning? We're going to share communion together in a moment where we recall the Lord's body and blood given for us, shed for us, broken for us on the cross. How costly will we count that grace in our lives as we leave this place this morning? You know, Jesus doesn't save us to a life of ease, but a life spent following him. He doesn't call us to a life where we make light of sin in our lives or in society, but a life of obedience, of sitting under him, of seeking to follow Jesus wherever he might lead us. And he calls us to a life that's filled with the love and grace of God and also a life that's shaped around his priorities and who he says we are, not what the world says we are. So I wonder, will we be a generation, will we be a church who stands up, who follows Jesus no matter the cost, takes the gospel to our hurting land and our hurting world. It's not easy, but Jesus gave himself for you so that you might be set free to follow him. Something Bonhoeffer also wrote was that salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you everything. Are we ready for that, those of us who seek to follow Jesus in our lives? We're going to uh, come to a time of worship before communion. So I'd like to invite the bands to come up and perhaps would we all stand? Just have a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for the gift of your son. Jesus, we thank you. You went to the cross for us. You knew just everything that's in our hearts. You know right now, perhaps you know what the, the backpacks that we're carrying from our past. You know sin and shame that's been in our lives, perhaps it still is. Thank you, Lord, you went to the cross to take that from us. I wonder if if that resonated with you, that image of those rucksacks, lay them down at the foot of the cross. Just come before the Lord and offer those things to him now. Perhaps if there's a sense, I don't know if there's a sense just feeling like it's, it's too tightly bound, 
Lord, for me to take this off. There's too much wrapped up in this. Ask Jesus to help you. He's the one who lifts up our pains, bore our sufferings. Lord, would you help us to lay these things down? Would you take them from us? And Lord, we long to live lives that reflect the costliness of the grace that we've received. Lord, may we not live with any cheapness in our attitude to the cross. Pray, Lord, that you would just increase the value of your amazing, precious grace in each one of our hearts and lives. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Jesus is alongside you. He's alongside each one of us to help us. May we know your presence with us, Lord, and may we live out that grace as we move on from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together now before we share communion together.